0: it's possible that luke was one of those people it's we don't really know that for sure but we know that he was he was definitely used in the ministry but he does an investigative report and you're you're going to get a look at you know there's some things that luke brings up that none of the other gospels brings up like Like John the Baptist in the early days and the pregnancy of of his mother with him, and we 're going to take a look. Luke is pretty much the only one that mentions Jesus in his early days when he was only twelve years old, and the birth and how, how all that worked with Jesus and the birth of Christ. He goes into a lot of great detail in which we're, most people think that Luke probably in his investigation in his history, which was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He probably interviewed Mary herself. Okay, he probably talked directly to these people. All right, so it's remember that. So a lot of the a lot of the source, in the sources Luke claimed to be a historian. You're going to see that in verse four, chapter one. Uh, he 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 was one that would carefully research the material, uh, and, he, and he and he he talked directly with eyewitness eyewitnesses of Jesus' life. Um, date and place where you know, it is hard to 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 determine uh, based on when Acts was written, based on when Luke was written. Well they most people believe that Luke was probably written before the book of Acts, which would have put it somewhere around, uh, as they put in here, somewhere um, around 58 or 60 um, uh, because you know, in the book of Acts, uh, there, there are references to things that happened later on. Um, there's no indication on where this gospel was written, where he did it at, where it was, where it was pinned. Um, the really the purposes behind the book uh, was really only a couple. And one was, to, as I was telling you, to confirm the faith of this Theophilus to let him know who Jesus Christ really was and, and yes, confirm that he was the Messiah and that he could believe in Him. And he does it through documentation and proving who Christ is. Okay? Um, He also talks about Jesus Christ and who He was. That He was the Messiah. That He was the Son of God. That He was who He claimed to be. Uh, and he, and he, and he—that salvation is found in Christ. Um, he also, Luke, go, uh, Luke's gospel. We get a, a an emphasized look at forgiveness. Forgiveness is a doctrine in here that Luke goes over a lot. Uh, I got pinned down here in chapter 3, and chapter 5, and chapter 6, and chapter 7, and chapter 11, and chapter 12, and chapter 17, 23, and 24. Luke goes over forgiveness. Okay. One of the main emphasis of that book, uh, he emphasized prayer in this, in this letter to Theophilus. He emphasized the need for prayer uh, and how, at many points in Jesus' ministry, Jesus prayed. And he emphasizes that in chapter 3 and chapter 5, in chapter 6 and chapter 9 and chapter 22 and in chapter 40. Um, Luke talked a lot about repentance. Uh, he stressed that uh, that must happen in every individual who follows Jesus Christ. Um... Luke talked more about material things than most of the other authors in all the other Gospels. Um, He did not always talk about the poor as being righteous or being better off than someone who had things. Uh, But he often spoke um, of the joy that accompanies faith and salvation. He talked about that in chapter 1, chapter 8, chapter 10, 13, 15, and 19. And so these are the things that he stresses, okay? Forgiveness, prayer, repentance. And these are things that that Theophilus needed to hear to confirm his belief in Jesus Christ. He needed to hear that. He needed to understand who this man was, okay? So I'm going to start. And we're going to start here in chapter 1. That's just a brief overview of Luke. Okay? And what he's doing. And let's listen to what he has to say. Now I'm going to read this as chapter 1, verse 1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Now, that's an interesting statement all in one. All in the very first verse. The things that was what? Fulfilled amongst us. Not just the things that happened, but the things that were predicted to happen that was fulfilled. This is important for Theophilus to know. Why? Because he needed to know that Jesus is the one that the scriptures referenced as being the Messiah. It was very important for him to understand and to know this. Okay? Very important that the things that was, it wasn't that he did a lot of great things in which he did, but the things that he did was the things that was predicted that the Messiah would do and would prove that he is, in fact, the Son of God. Okay, So the very first statement that he talks about is many people was writing about this about the things that was fulfilled amongst us. And it says, they used the eyewitness reports circulating among us, he says in verse, uh, verse 2 here, from the early disciples, having carefully, now listen to this, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus. That's all we know of Theophilus. Most honorable Theophilus. Have no clue other than that who this dude is. Some say Caiaphas' brother was Theophilus. But we don't know that, that who, that's who this is. But he is someone important. Someone high up that began to have faith in Jesus for who he was. Okay? So we know that. But listen to what he says. Verse 3 kind of starts off with a statement. Having carefully investigated, investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you. So here we go. He's going, for what he's doing is he's going from, he, th- this is a really good way to do this. Uh, a really good look at this, uh, at this gospel. Why do you guys think that this would be a good approach to writing about Jesus Christ? Why would that be a good approach? He's given his credentials. He's given his credentials. But when he says this, when he says, having carefully investigating every, investigated everything from the beginning, why is that a good approach? What's he doing? And what's he doing? He's, who's he talking to? Eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. So if I was to just solely be relying on Rich or Tom, if something happened in here, in this church, just say a crime happened, okay? And everybody was witness to it. Do you think the police would be satisfied with just interviewing what Jessica saw? Or what Rich saw? They would want to know what? Whatever. And from what everybody saw, what would you more arrive at? General consensus, And probably more of the truth, right? And accuracy of what was actually happening, right? So here's what he was doing. Luke, who was a physician, who who had you know if you're a physician that tells me a lot of things you're pretty much a learned person and you understand thinking and processes right and how to apply things and 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 making sure that you're accurate on things you know a physician has to be accurate and they have to be tedious in order to do things correctly all right so i would i would look at luke and i would say that what luke began to do in his, as he carefully investigated everything from the beginning, who was he investigating? He was investigating Jesus Christ, but how was he getting his information? From everyone who was involved and everyone who was an eyewitness. He was going from person to person to person to person to person to person, to person and collecting this information as given to these people by the Holy Spirit. And he was getting a very good look at exactly what happened in everybody's eyes. Okay? This is a good approach. So he says, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. He's saying, I'm going to give you such accuracy that you can actually be certain of what you've been taught about Jesus Christ. Because I did a careful, careful investigation of the facts. Okay? That's very important for us to know. All right? Then he starts in verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. Now, he's going to start off with John the Baptist. It's interesting that he, he does this this way. He's, he's, not, he's not starting at the end and bouncing to the middle and then going somewhere back to the end and then coming to the, to the front. He's starting right at the beginning. And he's going to start right at the beginning of John and then he'll start right at the beginning of Jesus. So you're getting a... Look, look when we go through this... You're getting the careful report. I like how the NLT words that You're getting a careful report of, of what happened. Now right here, we're not to, you know, we're not told this in the other in the other gospels to this accuracy right here. Now we're looking at that you know this this Jewish priest named Zachariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Ab, uh, Ab, Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Now, so what his duty was, Abijah, does anybody know who that is? Okay. If you look in Samuel, you'll see that, I believe it's in Samuel, uh, when Samuel had sons, okay, they were given priestly duties. And so they they were supposed to go out and set in order things in the different provinces. And so when you were a priest like Zechariah was, you might only have like one particular job that you do. Your job might be going in and lighting the incense. But you were only allowed to do that at certain times, at certain moments, and at certain places. And so this was what Zechariah was doing, okay? Okay. And his wife, Elizabeth, was uh, from the priestly line of Aaron. So this is, we're getting a history of where these people are coming from. And we're looking at down through the descendancy that God had promised things to happen in. We're getting the line of people that's, that's in play here. Okay. Now, look at this. Uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple uh, for his order was on duty that week. There you go. His order was on duty that week. He wasn't in there all the time. He had certain things that he had to do at certain periods of times. Okay, and was the custom of the priest. He wasn't chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. There you go. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying while Zachariah was in the sanctuary. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing in the the right, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zachariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zachariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. Nowhere else do we get this. Okay, I read a lot through there. Now let's pick this apart a little bit. Okay, so Zachariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. What does that tell us right there about what's about to happen? What does that tell us when when? Somebody give me what you think about that particular verse. Let me read this in, in, in this again. Zechariah, verse 6, and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. What does that tell us about these two people and what's about to happen? Um, well, in other places in the Scripture, when God finds somebody righteous, something's about to happen. That's it. That's it. It's almost parallel with Abraham and Sarah. Exactly right. And we're going to see the same thing in a little bit with the Lord Jesus, right? So what does this tell us as a group? When we're righteous, what does it mean to be righteous, Tom? Are you a member of the Righteous Brothers? or? Yeah. What, what does it mean to be righteous in God's eyes? What do you think about that? Upstanding. In what way? Uh, in following His His yes rules and, and perfect. And in Jesus' case, believing Him as a savior. Perfect. When God looked at the people, He seen that these two people was righteous in His sight and was careful. To do exactly what God wanted them to do. Why is that important? Why would that be important in this case? It showed their faith in him. Yeah. And their trust, I guess. Yeah. He's got a plan, he's got, got to have spikes that carry the That's it. Look <laughs> at John. Yes. Okay. So he sees these two people that are righteous and careful about doing exactly his will, right? They need to raise this boy correctly so that he can grow up and fulfill God's plan for him. So he needs a mom and a dad who is right standing with God, who will carefully teach him to also live righteously in God's sight and the importance of keeping God's words and commandments. When you're that person, God will start blessing you with things He wants you to do. He will start looking at you as being, a good word here is, trustworthy. Right? God knows the beginning from the end. But He looks at these people and He sees them and He places John, okay? Before this, they didn't know, would they have had a child? That is open to discussion. But right here, God sanctions them to have a child, okay? That child is going to come and God wants that child to be put in the best position it can possibly be put in to fulfill the mission that John's going to have. And He's going to have an important one, okay? So it's really important that we understand that. Um, They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. This also reminds me a lot of who else in the Bible who was also unable to conceive and and thought that they weren't going to have a child? Who who was that? Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, who else? Hannah. Hannah and she was so very disappointed you know she she wanted you know she was down praying right next to Eli and Eli thought she was drunk because her heart was just full of grief and she was there praying and 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 the bible says that Hannah was praying to herself and she was just, she, you could see her lips moving, moving, but she wasn't saying any words. And, and it's like, you know, Eli's over there praying out loud and, and, oh Lord, ha, I'm a priest. And, uh, and then Hannah's over there being very sincere with God. And she's, she's really bearing her heart to God that she wants a child. She wants a son. And, but, but not only does she want to be a mother. But she tells God, if you'll give me this child, Lord, I will give this child back to you for service. And, and you know, God was looking for another righteous person to put somebody like Samuel on the planet so that when he took Eli out of the picture, Samuel could restore the kingdom back to a, a righteous kind of judgment situation. He needed somebody who in order would also bring along King David. Because back then I'm getting a little bit off here, but but back in the days of of Samuel, this was when judges was ruling Israel and and there was no king. And and the, the idea of it was God was the king and God was ruling through the judges through the prophets. And the people didn't like it because they kept getting in fights with the Philistines and the, and, and the people were wicked and they didn't understand why the Philistines was whipping their hind ends and they didn't understand why the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, covenant and they took the Ark of the Covenant and they took it into the house of Dagon and all of a sudden God began to, to, to put the smack down on all the, all the Philistine encampments and they began to have tumors all over their bodies. In every city that they, they took the Ark of the Covenant, they began to have tumors all over their bodies. Even when the Israelites was not there fighting, God was fighting. And then Dagon, in the house of Dagon, they came in one day and they had placed the Ark of the Covenant into the temple of Dagon. Dagon being the fish god. And when you see the Catholic priest, or the or I should say the Catholic pope, standing there with his helmet on, his hat, and it's got this thing that comes up like this and goes like this, Then it comes down into a cape. That's the head of a fish and the mouth is up here. And the cape, which represents the scales, goes down the back. That's exactly what the priests of Dagon wore. And then the, the Dagon statue, the god, was fell down at, at the feet of the altar, and then they came back and they stood it up, and then once again it fell down, and then they stood it up, and then again it fell down, and the arms and the head broke off, and they began to be very afraid of the Ark of the Covenant, and they said, Let's get that thing out of here, and let's take it to the next city, and they took it to the next city, and while they were doing that, everybody was getting tumors all over them, so they took it to the next city, and the next city all the people got tumors all over them, and then they took it to the next city, and they got tumors all over them, and they said, Let's get this thing back to Israel. Just a brief history on that. But that's what Samuel, God needed Samuel to come along to take care of business after all this stuff was going on and to seat King David who would later come in to play. And God was not for Israel having a king. He was not for them having a king. He said, hey, if they want a king, give it to them. But when you go, Samuel, when you go, I want you to tell them that the king that they want is going to treat them miserably. He's going to take their children and make slaves out of them. He's going to take their children and make cooks out of them and gardeners out of them and chariot builders out of them and warriors out of them and He's going to bring them in. He's going to take a tenth of everything you got. He's going to take a tenth of all your vineyards. He's going to take all your garden stuff and He's going to use it for Him. He's going to feed His most upper soldiers. He's going to feed His most upper warriors and He's going to take, take, take from you. And the people said, I don't care, I want a king. But God needed someone. And so Hannah did that in her her faithfulness to the Lord. She was righteous and she was faithful to the Lord. And just in the same situation, God blessed her with something that she had very much need of. And then later on, I believe she had two or three daughters and a couple sons, or vice versa. And she was blessed. But as we see, that's what's going on here. God is using righteous people that He can trust. Okay? Okay. One day, Zechariah in verse 8 was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. Again, just because you're a priest doesn't mean... I mean, they had hundreds of priests. There was priests of all kinds of different orders that did different things within the temple. Right? But his time was on. Notice, where was this happening at? It was happening when he was on duty, wasn't it? Okay? Now look at this. One day, Zechariah was serving in the temple for his orders on duty that week, as was the custom of the priests. He was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. That's what his job was to do. While the incense was was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. As he was in there, in this solemn place, in a place where Zechariah could understand and be more apt to believe what was going on, when he was in his place of worship, when he was doing his godly duty, you know, knowing this about Zechariah, what do you guys think that his mindset was like, like when he was in there doing his priestly duty? What do you think? Knowing what you know about Him, what Luke has already described about Him, how do you think He approached His job? Very seriously. Very seriously. I'll bet you anything that He was humbled and solemnly in prayer when He was doing His job. He was doing it to the best of His capability. He was righteous in the sight of God and He was careful to do things correctly. And when he was in that sanctuary doing his thing, that's when he had his visitation. And I'll tell you, I have been in a similar situation. When you are solemnly, intensely, and sincerely reading your Bible or in prayer. One day, I remember, it was many, many years ago. And I was, uh, we were living on Arrow Rock. And I was, when I was younger and able to sit on the floor, I had pulled the, the, uh, the table, the coffee table, up to me. And I had several different Bibles. This was before the days of having computer programs and all this. And I had different study materials And I had three or four Bibles out there and I was taking notes and I was, man, I was in tune with the Lord. I mean, we were, we were having a conversation, man. I mean, it was intense and I was taking notes and I can't even remember what I was teaching on, but I remember being in prayer and I was alone. There was no one in the house. It was just me. It was quiet and I was taking notes and getting my sermon stuff ready. And man, did I have a visitation. I mean, I didn't see somebody standing there, but the Lord Jesus, I'm telling you, I give you my word as a man of God. He showed up and was right next to me on that couch. So much so the presence of the Lord just overwhelmed me. I mean, I was just crying and I felt an immediate and I was not ready for this. I was just concentrating on what I was doing and it was like the Lord put his hand on me and said, this is what I want from you. You're doing it, man. I'm so proud of you. I'm so, I'm so glad that you're doing this. You are, you are doing the right thing right now. And God just put his hand on me. And I remember, and it was a private time that I had with the Lord. And I said to the Lord, man, and I was just, tears were falling. And I said, Lord, you know, I don't have no anointing oil in which to anoint you with. I said, but, I, but with my tear, I anoint your head. And I couldn't even look. And I just wretched up like I was going to anoint him. And I'm telling you, it was like I got struck with lightning. Because the Bible says we're supposed to anoint the, the, our visitor's head with oil. We're supposed to give, greet them with a holy kiss like, the, like is the nature and culture of the people back then. And I'm telling you, when I did that, I just it was like a whole different ball game. And God honored that. And let me tell you, that is there for you too. That is there for you too. If you will but throw yourself into the arms of Christ and sincerely give yourself to Him and what He wants you to be doing, and you will keep careful the things that He's told you, He will do that for you too. Make no mistake about it, he is not a respecter of persons. But he respects righteousness. And he respects honor and dignity. Okay?